Amen. We will see miracles. Amen. We shall see giants fall. We'll walk on water. Even if you walked on water once and your faith dropped, you can get your eyes back on Jesus. Reach out to him this morning. You'll walk on water the second time. Amen. He's the God who wants to show himself alive the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. It's the other day when I was at brother, with Brother Ron Spencer. We'd been with him on Sunday and Monday. Spent the day, Monday night, went to sleep. In the middle of the night, I heard that song being sung from the heavens. We shall see miracles. We will see giants fall. We'll walk on water. I believe that's a promise to us today. Amen. The same in the same night, Sister Connie, different part of the house, got up in the middle of the night and was just singing real softly under her breath. We shall see miracles. We shall see giants fall. I believe the Lord is confirming his word to us. We need to walk in his promise. Let's just reach out and get any promise of God. Whatever it is, hang on to it. Don't let go of it. We're looking for the coming of the Lord in our generation. Don't let go of that. Keep your eyes on that. Keep that your expectation. Every age went down believing there would be the age. We can't be any different. Amen. No matter how much time passes, and things changes, the delay seems to be longer. You hold on to that promise. I'm coming back for people. Amen. Who have made themselves ready. Let's believe him with all our hearts this morning. Let's prepare our hearts for that coming. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. God bless you all. As we just look to the Lord now, just for a moment, whenever one of you just to gather your thoughts and your hearts, just concentrate just for a moment on him who made the promise, asked him to speak to you personally today. Father, we're your children, and we have gathered in your name. Lord, it's wonderful that we could say, in the name of the Lord, I have come. And here we are, Lord, today in your name. We have been commanded to come and assemble ourselves together. Lord, even so much the more as we see that day approaching. And here we are today as we come on the first day of the week to honor your resurrection. We just ask, Lord, that you'll speak to us, that you'll go to every pew, wherever one is sitting. You'll minister to every soul. Lord, oh God, those that are straying away from you, that you'll minister to them. Those that are seeking you today, Lord, with all their heart, may this be the day they find you. Lord, those that are 
that are walking the Emmaus walk and maybe going the wrong direction. Oh God, away from where you told them to go. May it be today that you join near them and walk with them and just open up the eyes of their understanding and the scripture to them so that they'll turn and go back seeing that you're the resurrected one and that you're still doing the same things you did 2,000 years ago. Lord, I ask God that everyone soul that is walking with you today in unity and harmony with the word, may today they just get a refreshing of the Holy Spirit that it just comes so real and alive to them. As we look into the word, I pray God that you'll open up the scripture to us and our understanding would come open. We not might know the hope of our calling in Christ Jesus. Father, ever needs supply now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Isn't it always good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Have the privilege of serving him. We want to welcome each one of you today. Amen. Those that are with us that aren't normally here, uh, but you're gathered with us this morning. We're just really happy to have each one of you that has assembled with us. If you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, we're going to read from the first verse. And as you're turning, just reminding you, we have the two services today, and we try to come back uh, for the second service about 4.30. And between that, we're going to be having a little bit of a business meeting and just discussing some of the things on the, of the church. If you're you're, um, if you attend here regularly and pay your tithes here, you're welcome to come to that meeting. And uh, we're going to try that about 4 o'clock, and we'll see how it works out. Anyway, Revelations 5 and verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seal, seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. May God bless his word. You can be seated. This morning, we're going to be continuing our thought about the abstract, and we'll be getting into some other uh, portions of this as we go along. I, I want to speak ab about this because, um, you know, because it, it deals with our legal rights and what God has promised for our, our day. And um, so we're going to be speaking on the abstract of the open book as we're looking at this because we're living in a day where the book is no longer closed, but God has opened the book 
and brought us back to Paul's gospel where that we can preach exactly what Paul preached. Now we're looking at this scene and we see the one on the throne is the creator of the universe. And of course he holds the title in his hand and it's a book. And that book is a title to everything that man lost. And this book of course is the believer because it represents every believer. And I believe that every one of our names are in this book. I'm glad to say that we have seen our names in the book of redemption. Everyone that has been redeemed and saved, he lets you know, I've, I've chosen you before the world began. Amen. And so the book is a title to all that man lost, represents every believer. But it must be claimed or all hope for a resurrection of the New Testament saints is lost. And the call goes out for a worthy man. And the book, of course, is held in the hands of God on the throne, but, but the possession must move from God's hands back to man's hands. And, and of course, we can look back in the historical records of the Scripture, and we can see that Matthew taught us and told us uh, gave us a real clue of what happened at the resurrection when we learned that Jesus paid the debt of all mankind, that the Old Testament saints before us, they have already obtained what Adam lost in the sense that they were resurrected from the from spoonful of ashes and they are now in immortal bodies. Paul told us of, of Abel and Enoch and Noah, Abraham, Sarah, uh, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. And then in Hebrews eleven thirty two, 32, he just says, and what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Abarak, and of Samson, of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel the prophets, and who through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouth of the lions and quenched the violence of the fire and escaped the edge of the sword and out of weakness were made strong and waxed valiant in fight and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again and others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had cruel trial of cruel mockings and, and scourging, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. And they were stoned and they were sawn asunder and they were tempted and were slain with the sword and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented, of whom this world was not worthy. And they wandered in, in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. But God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. They won't be complete without us. So even though that they are in redeemed bodies and wait in heaven, there that the earth 
has not been returned back to man again. It is still under the power of the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. But at Calvary, we know Jesus paid redemptive price. And there the Old Testament saints raised into incorruptible bodies and ascended with Jesus into heaven because Jesus cleared their debt. Now, so he gave them the church an abstract or a cleared deed. So understand this. When Jesus paid the price at Calvary, he provided an abstract and cleared the deed of all the records against the Old Testament saints. And not only the Old Testament saints in that that he cleared the deed of where their failure to keep the law and their failure to walk perfect, and then he would he would redeem them and set them free uh, from from the place called paradise, and they would come back to the earth and they would resurrect, and there they would ascend with him, and so you can see their debt was completely cleared, but then Jesus would send back an abstract. On the day of Pentecost, which is a clear deed. So if you look, uh, let me just share with you a little quote there from uh, Brother Branham in God's provided place of worship. He said, let's take a look at those faithful ones at Pentecost. They were all in the upper room there and they were all scared. They had the title all right, but they were afraid. And all at once there came a sound from heaven. The abstract was sent down to them. Like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were so quickened by that to all their cowardliness. And uh, one of them was even afraid. They'd even denied. He wasn't even a Pharisee yet or a Sadducee yet. But when the Holy Ghost fell and baptized him into Jesus Christ, he became flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone and word of his word. He was a new creation. He was a new person. It quickened his body. So the early church, we know, could have been raptured had they not been planted as a seed. Because God had more names in the book beside them. So you see, he had to wait until every name on the book was manifested on the earth and their deed cleared. So you see now, again, the the corn of wheat would have been, would have to be planted. It would come up again as a blade, a a tassel, a shuck, until it comes back again uh, for a harvest time. And I'd like to report this morning, we are back at a harvest season. We are actually at another Pentecost. Amen. We have come down to the last age. We've had a week of ages And we are here now at the end of the seventh age. The word Pentecost means 50. It occurred occurred seven weeks after the Passover. The Passover would begin with a lamb without blemish. And then the lamb was slain. And then it would be served with, with unleavened bread. And this Passover feast was the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that Feast of Unleavened Bread would go for seven days, uh, which would also, again, represent seven church ages because we are supposed to have 
been fed uh, unleavened bread for the past seven church ages. And so Brother Branham would tell us in the rapture message, he says, as I was speaking in the communion, when they killed that sacrificial lamb, there was to be no leaven among them through the entire seven days, no leaven, no leavened bread. Everything had to be unleavened. That represented the seven church ages that we, just get, that we get in the book here, and there's no leaven. It is what? It is something mixed with it, and we mix creed and denomination, everything else, with the word, and still try to call it the word. No leaven shall be the entire seven days. Again, and things are to be, he would say a, a similar comment. The seven church ages in, no, uh, no unleavened, no creed, no nothing added. It had to be absolutely unleavened bread. No leaven shall be found among you at all. Just unleavened, the, unleavened, the word itself, that only, and that's the word of God. So you see, this, this whole feast of unleavened bread would also represent seven church ages. And, and this is where the real true bride of every age must eat the word only. Amen. So, you know, again, we come down here to the end. It's really important we keep the message pure. Amen. Leavening in the bread will get you rejected. We don't want to put our own ideas to the message. Also in the types is the Jubilee year. And in ancient Israel, every seven years was a Sabbath year. And then after seven Sabbath years, which would be seven times seven, came a Jubilee. And the Jubilee was a time where every man went back to his own possession. It was a time of where every, every slave of, of Israel would receive personal freedom and the canceling of debt. And the restoration of, poor, of, of property. So, you know, this, this is a very important time. A jubilee. A time where slaves go free. Amen. A time where property is restored. A time where, again, you get an abstract or the canceling of debt. And every lien against the property is taken off. This is really important because we are now in another jubilee. We have reached the seventh age, the seven weeks of years. And again, it's typed out. We're at another jubilee. Amen. It's illegal for Satan to make any of us slaves. Amen. It's illegal. The freedom bell rings. The ram horn blows. Amen. It involved the blowing of the ram's horn, the trumpet. And the horn represents the ram's power. Amen. And through the ram and the sounding of his trumpet, every man went back to his possession. And every slave of Israel was freed. Oh, I think of that here, where that we are right back to the beginning again. Where that we go back to what was lost at Pentecost. Amen. In the first age. And the debt of every age has been canceled. And every slave of denomination has now been set free. And we can walk as children of God in the glorious liberty of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, so all of these were types. And, then on the, and of course, the 50th day 
after Passover was now, after seven weeks had transpired, would come the day of Pentecost. And the 50th day is, is really a representative of the Jubilee, the 50th year. And in the Old Testament, each of the seven Sabbath represented a land rest and, and uh, that would be followed by the 50th day. And then, on, or, and then on Pentecost, the law was given in Exodus 19, and, and the Ten Commandments were given. And on Pentecost then, again in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was given in Acts 2. I think it's wonderful when we just compare it as the Holy Spirit would bring it down to the types in the Bible. Here after the Passover lamb was slain uh, in the Exodus, they would journey through the wilderness to finally Mount Sinai. And they would come to the Mount of God. And it would be seven weeks after the Passover and on the day of Pentecost, the first Pentecost, it would be there upon the mountain, God would give the law, his covenant to Israel. Hallelujah. And so he would give that, co that covenant, the law, to Israel. And, and, and it would be there that God would take Israel for a bride. Are you with me? And he would covenant with them. But immediately, we remember as soon as the law is given, they couldn't wait for even the law to come down from the mountain without them breaking the word of God. Amen. And what happened? They, they would dare rebel and begin to worship a golden calf. And with the, after worshiping the golden calf, then the gold from it would be taken and, and ground up in powder and thrown into the waters. And the people would drink of that water. And then they, there would be 3,000 of them die. Now, but now I want you to notice in the New Testament... It would begin also with something happening. It would be with, again, 50 days after the Passover. After Jesus would die, the true Lamb of God. And there the law, the Word of God would be given again. And it would be written by the finger of God like the first law. Because there on the Mount Sinai, the finger of God would write the law in tablets of stone. But now on the day of Pentecost, God would take his finger and he would write not in tablets of stone, but in the heart. And he would change the very nature of man and put the word of God as something that's not external, but something now internal. Whether you're not, you're not obeying the word from laws of thou shalt and thou shalt not. But now the word is living in you. Amen. It is kept because it's the divine nature that is written in the life. Are you with me now? And there on the day of Pentecost, is somebody with me? On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come down, writing the word into the, the heart of the believer. The fire of God coming down like tongues of fire and carving out within the nature of man, putting in there the word of God, writing it in his nature. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. And immediately, as the news broke, 
instead of 3,000 dying, 3,000 were added to the church. Because the Old Testament was a covenant of death, but this is a covenant of life. Now, it's very interesting that at the beginning of the countdown from the Passover to Pentecost, that at the, at the very beginning of the Passover and the countdown begins, when, the, when the, there is a barley wave offering. This was the first fruit of the harvest season. The barley would ripen before the wheat which would actually be 50 days later. So there would be a span of seven weeks between the two harvests. And, and so the, at, at the day after the Passover, there um, on the, the first day of the week, it would be that the priest would take the, the, the first of the barley and he would take and, and, and thresh it and he would make um, an omer, some omers that he would hold of, of this barley. And he would wave it before the Lord. And it was saying in that, that the, the offer, it was given a thanks offering to God for the, the harvest, but it was saying all, also it was thanking God for the rest that would be harvested. Amen. So now, it is striking to know that when Jesus arose from the dead early in the morning and he makes his appearing to Mary Magdalene and to those at the tomb, that in that moment, in that time, at that same time, the high priest is in the temple and he is taking the first of the harvest and he is waving it before the Lord. Amen. And at the same time, Jesus raised from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection. And all the Old Testament saints rise with him. Hallelujah. Amen. And are presented to Jehovah as a representative of the saints that are yet to come. Hallelujah. God has already been, he has already been praised and thanked. Amen. For the great harvest here in this end time. That he'll have a bride without spot or wrinkle. It was identified in Jesus Christ. The Bible said that in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, that Jesus had become the first fruits of them that slept. Amen. Now, it was concluded that at the, that at the end of the countdown to Pentecost, was when there would be a wheat harvest wave offering. Now notice two wave offerings. One for the barley and one for the wheat. And so it would be 50 days after the barley has been waved and it would be now the wheat's turn to be waved. And of course it represents those saints at the end of the age that would also be raised up from the grave here at this last day at this Pentecost because we are here in a Pentecost. You see, Jesus died the Passover lamb and he was the first fruit. 
And the, he was the first fruit of the resurrection ones of the Old Testament. This was a barley harvest. He was the sheep wave. He was the abstract holder. He had cleared the deed, and with him came up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the righteous dead of the Old Testament, and all the paradise was emptied. That holding place where they were waiting for the one worthy, the worthy lamb that could pay redemption price. But I want you to know that we are now in the seventh week or seven church ages later in the harvest season, in the wheat harvest season. Are you with me? 2,000 years ago was the barley, the Old Testament. They raised from the dead. Amen. But now we are advanced to 2,000 years forward, seven church ages later. Amen. To where that it's now a time for the, for the, the day of Pentecost, for the very Holy Spirit to raise up a bride in this end time. That it will wave before the world to say, all of them will be raised. Just like this one has raised from the dead of the tombs of denomination. All the dead in Christ will raise just like they have raised. Hallelujah. The wheat harvest, the first ripened grains of the wheat, they're ground and baked into two loaves of bread and they're weighed before the Lord. For there is to be another resurrection in this end time of the New Testament believers. I believe we're in the hour of the resurrection. I keep saying, and I'll tell you again, 1 Thessalonians 4 is not a funeral scripture. Amen. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 is not just a funeral scripture. Amen. It It is our scripture. It is a word that has been left to be fulfilled here in the end time. We must keep our level of expectancy for for the word of God to be manifest among us until even the dead in Christ rise and appear among us and we're changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. Now, notice here the coming of the Holy Ghost was at the same time on the day of Pentecost, it was at the same time the priests were waving the wheat loaves in the temple. So just as it was 50 days before it, after the Passover and Jesus raised from the dead on the first day of the week, the priests were waving the omers of the barley and saying, you know, this is the first fruits and pronouncing the blessing on the harvest. That at the same time, now on the day of Pentecost, there when they were gathered in the upper room over here in the temple, there were the priests and they were holding up the wave loaves of Pentecost of the bread, of the wheat bread, and was waving them before the Lord. And at the same time that they are there waving out the type over here in the upper room. Hallelujah. Amen. Where the Passover feast was, had been served in the upper room. Now, on the day of Pentecost, here comes a sound from heaven. And it's not, a, it's not just a type that is happening. Amen. But the Holy Spirit himself is coming down and begins to wave like a rushing mighty wind as the 
promise of the word has comes down and is being waved over the people. Hallelujah. What was God doing by this waving of the Holy Ghost in the upper room? As tongues of fire came down like a rushing mighty wind. He was sending an abstract of title. Showing that the Lamb was accepted in heaven. Come on. And his blood had atoned. And sin debt was paid. And the harvest was beginning. Hallelujah. Brother Branham told us, and it is the rising of the sun. Bear with me as I read these quotations here. But he said, notice it was the first corn of God's wheat that it raised from the dead. God's first corn of wheat. You see, they were dead and sin's trespasses. But now they were raising up into life. Amen. By God's quickening power, God had quickened his life and raised him up from the dead. And he was the first fruits of those that slept. The first fruit. He was that sheep. That's why they had to wave that sheep. For it was the first one that come to maturity. And it was waved as a memorial of thanksgiving to God, believing that the rest of them would come. It was a sign. And today, because he is the first son of God to come to maturity, to be in God, he was plucked up from the earth and is waved over the people. Oh, what a glorious lesson. By the quickening power, the first one, although he had been tight many times, but this was really the first fruits of them that slept. He was waved over the promised seed that had promise of life. And he was waved at the day of Pentecost when there came a sound from heaven like a waving, mighty, rushing wind and was waved over the people, the Pentecostal people that were at Pentecost waiting for the blessing to come. Now watch. And then he carries it over to our day. And in order for this to happen, there has to be another Pentecost. And he said it is to be a wave again. We realize in the last day, According to Luke 17, 30, in the Sunday again. In the day that the S-O-N of man will be revealed or waved over the people. Amen. Now, who is the Son of Man? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And if all the teaching that we have and confirmation of the Word of God, by word of God, by signs, by wonders. And we see today in the book of Luke, here the 17th chapter, the 30th verse, and Malachi 4 and the different scriptures that we are acquainted with, that that word is again waved over the people. That the dead traditions of man is dead. And the Son of God is alive again with the baptism of the Holy Spirit right among us. Given us life. Hallelujah. Brother Brandon was telling us that the word, the coming of the word, the restoration of the word in this day was bringing another Pentecost. Amen. Another waving of the sheep. And it was the word this time, not, not the person Jesus. Come on. But now the person of the word being waved back over the people. What was it doing? It was announcing we are in a harvest season. And every son and daughter of God is going to be the word just like he's the word. Amen. Amen. 
as a Christ was the first one to raise from all the prophets and so forth, although typed in many places, he was the first fruits of those who slept. In the bride coming of Christ, watch this. Now we know 2,000 years ago, he came as the groom. But somebody help me now. In this day, yeah, we're going to meet him in the air. Is that right? We'll be the body form of Jesus Christ. We will meet the physical body of Jesus Christ in the air. That's what believers believe. Amen. But in order for there to be a rapture, there has to be a manifestation of Christ on the earth. But this time, not in groom form, but in bride form. Hallelujah. So in the bride coming of Christ, coming out of the church, there'll have to be a sheaf waved again in the last days. Hallelujah. The waving of the sheep. What was the sheep? The first one that come to mature. The first that proved it was a wheat. That proved it was a sheep. Hallelujah. I'm sure you see what I'm talking about. It was waved over the people. Amen. Do you realize here we come down after 2,000 years. And it's grain time again. That what was planted is now coming to fruition. What was there on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts is now manifested in bride form. Hallelujah. There's been a blade and there's been a stalk and there's been a tassel and there's been a shuck. Somebody help me. Amen. But now it comes back to again maturity. Get that word in your mind. A maturity. A mature church. Hallelujah, that he's going to, that he takes to wave, amen, to his same signs and wonders through that same bride. Listen, the, he said, at the, for the first time will come forth for the bride for a resurrection out of dark denominationalism. Stop right there. You were in a tomb. Baptist tomb, Methodist tomb, Pentecostal tomb. They sealed you away. Come on. Put seals upon you. You're not going to come out of there. You got to remain dead. We're going to make sure the church stays dead. There won't be any signs. There won't be any wonders. There won't be any miracles. There won't be. Come on, somebody. The word can't be manifested in its power. It's just got to go into corruption. Dead in tombs. Amen. All of you were dead in tombs. Amen. But I tell you, there there is a message. And that message is declaring that the tomb has been opened. And we no longer have to stay in dead forms of religion. But there is a bride that is risen out. That has come forth after 2,000 years. Amen. That she is alive. Amen. We talk about Jesus being alive. Let me talk a minute about this bride being alive. Amen. She's not a dead church. She's a living church. She's a live church. Amen. I'm full of the power of the resurrection and life. Oh, for the first time, they'll come forth for the bride a resurrection out of dark denominationalism will be a message. Hallelujah. 
Our message says, not only does he live, but you also live. Our message says, you can't remain dead. Hallelujah. Some of you sitting here in sins and dead and, dead and, and trespasses, but I'm just announcing to you, you can't remain dead. There is a message that is saying that the bride is rising. Amen. She's not remaining in the tombs. She's a living bride. Hallelujah. And that the full maturity of the word has turned back again in full power and is being waved over the people by the same signs and wonders that he did there. Amen. Because I live, ye shall live also speaking to his wife. Because I live, ye shall live also. What a resurrection that was. Oh my, we got churches around the world today honoring the resurrection. They're meeting on Sunday. They're talking about Jesus rose. And we're so glad he did. Because without that resurrection, we would be lost. Is that right? Amen. But I'll tell you what a resurrection that was. But what a resurrection this is. Amen. To be quickened from the dead, to be made alive by in Christ Jesus, by God's quickening power. You see, it ain't enough for Jesus to rise. You too have got to rise. Because I live, you're going to live. Because the groom lives, the bride's going to live. Hallelujah. The same works that he did shall you do also. And greater than these for I go to my father. Because the bride is not to be a dead church. She has to be a living, vibrant church. He was waved to them the word which he was waved to them, back to them on the day of Pentecost, the word made manifest. And he said, and as I say, it's to be waved again in the last day. I'm just telling you, get ready. You're on display. Hallelujah. Amen. You're on display. Amen. It's a sign to, it's a, it's a waving unto God. Your bride is bone of your bone and flesh of his flesh. But it's also waving to our enemies, to Satan himself, that Satan is not triumphant. That with the, the raising of this bride will come as the first fruits of the resurrection, will come all the dead in Christ of the whole, of the whole New Testament church. So what a day that we're living in. Now, the descending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the giving of an abstract to the believers, to every believer that received it, that their sin debt was paid. I'm going to tell you, they got a jubilee. This is why they came out of the upper room like they did. Because they got a revelation, my sins are paid. My debt is over. Amen. I will not be a slave to Satan any longer. Amen. I can return back to the property. Amen. Everything that Jesus paid for is mine. Hallelujah. Because he canceled the debt. Amen. So you see that that descending of the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost was given an abstract 
of title to those believers. Now, we come to the last days. Seven church ages now after the Passover. Let's just go back. And there's been the Passover where Jesus died at Calvary. And we have marked now seven church ages. And it brings us to another day of Pentecost. And we need once again the clearing of the deed because of the unbelief of the ages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this just for a little bit. Because I want you to understand why we need a clear deed. We need the clearing of the deed because of the unbelief and the sins of the ages. This is why that when you look in the book of Revelation, which is a book allotted to the last day. Remember, it was not even for their time. It wasn't even written when Paul was here upon the earth. It would be written after Paul. It would be the last book. And it would be written in symbols. Because it would be reserved for last day people. So I want you, when you think about the book of Revelation, it is actually the apocalypse or the unveiling. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. It is showing his plan of redemption. So now, again, when we look at it, we see in this book of Revelation that the, there's the book that Jesus paid for, but yet the book is closed. It is held in the hands of God, and it can only be taken by a worthy man to step forth from eternity and to take the book and to open its seals. I want you to get, I want you to get a visual here. Now, when, when we see it open in Revelation 5, it's a closed book. But it ends with an open book. And it concludes that chapter with all creation worshiping God. So it is a process. I mean, the seals on the book keep it closed. And it is closed for no man is worthy to look on the book. It isn't, you know, it isn't we just can't take the book. We can't even look at it. Now, we went through it last week on how the seals were put on the book. We know it was done by the Antichrist. And it was kept, and it has kept the rapture from the church for the past 2,000 years. Until, and, and, and God has been waiting year after year. Until every name is manifested on earth whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. Now, men throughout the ages wanted to enforce a claim for the book. For example, as, as we will look, we'll talk about the different ones in the, even the ages prior to this. But there was no man worthy. There was no prophet, there was no priest, there was no Moses, there was no Elijah, there was no messenger of the ages that was worthy. And it could only be done until the worthy man is found. And only until he claims the book. Now, 2,000 years ago, we had the purchasing 
and then of course we have had the intercessory work now for 2,000 years while Jesus has interceded waiting for every name in the book to be called and to be manifested on the earth. As As hurry as I am for the rapture, I can't go until your name is revealed in the book. Amen. That means I'm waiting on you. Wherever you are around the world, amen, I'm waiting for your name to be revealed. Amen. I pray it'll be this morning that you'll see your name in the book. Hallelujah. Amen. Brother Branham talked about it. He said, John must have saw his name in the book. That's why he was rejoicing. I'll tell you what, when you get to see your name in the book, it'll make you start rejoicing too. You'll start shouting. Amen. Until all the heavens hear you shout. Amen. Because you see your name in the book of redemption. I know what it did to me. I know what it'll do for you. Hallelujah, to know I was in his thoughts. And he can never leave me out. Hallelujah. But now, there would be men like Luther. Let's just imagine Luther would probe into the book. He wanted to understand the mysteries. And you know, he he understood what he could. He probed into it enough and and, and would, would pry and try to look. You know, an unworthy man trying to understand what, the, the, what was in the book of redemption, how to be redeemed. Wanted to understand the mysteries. Luther wanted a rapture. He wanted a body change too. He wanted to be the age that delivers all nature. And let's just imagine Luther steps up to claim the book. And he says, you know, I probed in there, and I've, I've seen the just shall live by faith. But the accuser of the brethren, Satan, stands there and says, but I still got a claim on Luther. You see, we got a deed, but we need an abstract. And the abstract pays the debt that is against the man to take possession. And so he said, I've got a claim on on Luther. He only has justification. All the revelation he's got of the new birth is the just shall live by faith. And he's still got my my Trinitarian baptism. You know, the Trinitarian baptism is not God's. It's Satan's. Amen. And he's got, there again, he's he's got my, my Trinitarian baptism. In fact, the matter is, if you want to go back to it for a moment, the Roman Catholic Church will tell you it's their baptism. And said anyone baptized in the titles of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is baptized into the Catholic Church. Because it's their baptism. The Trinity formula was not even developed until 300 and something years after, after the disciples. Everywhere in the Bible, everybody used the name of Jesus Christ because it's the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no salvation in any other name but the name of Jesus Christ 
Whatever you do in word or deed, you got to do it in the name of Jesus. Like I said, as the water baptism is a part of salvation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's a part of salvation. And the Bible said that his name is the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. Is that right? So he can say, but he still has my baptism. And he hasn't come to a full birth. He's still just a child. There is, there is, I, I, you know, you can't hand him the possession of the land because he's not of age. Wesley would long to look to deliver all nature, and he longed for a rapture in his age. Wesley, had he tried to claim the book, the accuser would have also said, well, I also got a claim on Wesley. Though he is sanctified and more qualified than Luther and a little more grown up than Luther, he's still, he's still not a full-born son. He's not of age to claim it. Besides, he still sprinkles. And he's got my false baptism, and he's, he's not the, the fullness of the word. And it's not, not even time yet to deliver all nature. He's not of age. So, you know, here we come down to this last age and the call goes out. Who is worthy? And John saw no man was worthy. So all of the, all the efforts of all the ages had not produced a worthy man. But then the hour arrives, the lamb, the one who started the process of redemption, he steps forth from eternity and he takes the book. He is worthy. Amen. Satan has no claim on him. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, this is why he would say, we've not. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. What? The lion, the king has prevailed. How did the king do this? Amen. The one on the throne became a man for the purpose of redemption to be the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world and so the lion became a lamb are you with me now amen in other words he became the all his own sacrifice he became the attorney amen and he became the atonement himself and he would bear in his body the sins of the world. He would bear your sins. He would bear my sins. He would also be wounded and stripes given to him for your healing. Amen. If you're wondering about your healing this morning, all you have to do is look at the atonement. In there is healing and salvation. It's a dual atonement. Amen. Yeah, I, I know. I know that healing is a, a minor, not a major. The major is to get people saved. But 86% of Jesus' ministry was divine healing. So it's not too minor, is it? It was still a major thrust of his ministry to see that not only was the body healed, but the soul was saved. It's all in the atonement. How many is with me? Amen. He was wounded for your transgressions. 
He was bruised for your iniquity. The chastisement of your peace was upon him. And with his stripes you were healed. Remember, it is a finished work. Jesus has to do nothing more. He has finished the work. Is that right? Amen. All you've got to do is claim it. Now, so again, he hears the cry. Weep not, John. You're over here weeping because no man is worthy. But look, the lion, the king, hath prevailed to take the book. And he goes to look to see what the king is doing. And he sees a lamb. Hallelujah. Now, the lamb takes the book. He does it as kinsman redeemer. God become kinfolk to you. It's in the hands of a man again. Not no woolly lamb, but a man. Jesus, John hears that the lion has prevailed. Remember, the lion is a symbol of the king. And he looks and he sees a lamb, which is a lamb is, is a symbol of the sacrifice, the atonement, the priesthood. Amen. Now, Jesus was, he's not only the lamb, he is the high priest. Amen. He is the blood. All of what was represented for the atonement, Jesus is. So wrapped up or encapsulated in him is high priest. It is is the sacrifice. It is the blood for the atonement. It is the appeasement for sin. Now, listen, what happened? Our judge, the king on the throne, became our attorney. Hallelujah. Someone wanted someone to say he's no longer the lamb. Listen, it was the lamb who took the book. He didn't do it as a lion. He did it as a lamb. He didn't do it as the king of glory. He did it as the sacrifice. Amen. So he, it was the lamb who opened the seals. It was the lamb as intercessor who is interceding as a man with God upon the throne. Amen. This is Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Melchizedek was priest and king. Is that right? That means he is attorney or intercessor and judge. The same one, the same God, the same Melchizedek is both king and priest. He is both lion and lamb. Hallelujah. I want you to get this for a moment because when we talk about, let's just go about to Esther for a moment. Esther, she, she wanted to go before the king, but she was afraid. You know why she was afraid? Her husband was a lion. Amen. He was fierce. He could get angry real quick. He had a quick temper. A hazardous. The moment, the moment something didn't go his way, off comes your head. He had all power in his hands. Esther was afraid to go in there. Is that right? Because her husband was a lion. Let me tell you about our husband. Our God is a lion. He has wrath. 
He has anger. He has judgment. He'll burn the world with fire. He'll send sinners to hell and the devil with him. Amen. He has anger. He has wrath. Amen. He's a liar. Amen. But when Esther, notice when she walks before the king and he, he looks out and sees what's coming, there's a change comes all over Ahasuerus, the king. Amen. And all of a sudden, this lion becomes a lamb. Hallelujah. And he holds out the welcome. Come on in, my darling, my bride. Because to her, he is not her, her judge. He is her attorney. Somebody help me preach. Amen. He's not somebody full of wrath with me and you. When we go into his presence, brother, something just melts in his heart. Whatever you want. Amen. You can be air with me and join air. Just ask what you will. Whatever you want, Esther. Whatever you want, little bride. Just come on in my presence. Now this Melchizedek, he's priest and king. He's attorney and he's judge. As priest, he is an assessor, an attorney to represent our case. As king upon the throne, he rules on our behalf. And he hands the book back to man, Christ the Redeemer. Not another God, the same God. <laughs> Yet, the accuser of the brethren, the prosecutor says, you're a sinner, you're worthless, you're guilty of death. And let me tell you, that's what the accuser says. Amen, because he's trying to, to say that you're not worthy, and he can say that. But he can't say it about this man. Amen. This man, he has no claim on him. There's never, come on somebody, there, was, there is no claim, there is no accusation that he can bring against this lamb. He's without blemish. Even Pilate would have to say, I find no fault in him. Come on. Amen. Because he was a lamb without blemish. Now, the Antichrist spirit has kept the rapture from the church for nearly 2,000 years by sealing away its tru the truth from us. But I want to announce to you that just as there was a sound from heaven back on the first Pentecost and the second Pentecost, that heaven has moved on our behalf. Because it's now time for God to bring redemption purposes down to earth. If I can say it like this, it's adoption time. Word that there is a mature elect bride who is able to receive the book as shown in Revelation 10.8. And have been told, go and take the little book. And have been, you know, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. So it shows you that there comes a time 
where that, that, the unworthy man, John, now can go. Now he's representing the bride. He's representing the elect. Somebody help me. Revelation 4, he represents the entire church as he's caught up into heaven at the end of the age. Is that right? So in Revelation 10, 8, he represents the entire bride as he gets this word said, go and take the little book that is open in the hand of the angel. Now, again, the only way that that could be that we arrive at that time is that there has to come the age again of maturity. Someone who, that's not a child, not as below the age, but is of age that can take the inheritance. Amen. Where there is a mature elect bride who is able to receive the book. So this is the age of adoption where the heir rives at the stage of maturity. We are not the immature Lutheran church. We are not even the... Come on with me. We're not even the the immature Methodist church. We're not even the immature Pentecostal church. They were not a book of Acts church. They were a Corinthian church. One has a tongue and one has a a prophecy and one is a this and one is that. All the while sin is in the midst. But we're not that kind of a church. Hallelujah. It is, a, it is an Ephesian church to where he can say, you are chosen before the foundation of the world. You have been elected. You have been called. You are in the dispensation of the fullness of time where that all the times are now being wrapped up and finished. And you are now arrived at an age where there is a mature bride on earth Amen. Who can take the inheritance. Now, at a mature age when childhood was passed, the Romans, and Paul would use this custom. They had an adopt, they had a, a custom to adopt a, a mature son or mature man as a son. That means his adoption meant a son was now given power and authority. We Westerners think of adoption as when we adopt a child that's not our own. But that's not what happened. The Romans had a custom of adoption where he adopted his own son and placed him in power and authority. So adoption in the Roman custom was uh, was to place a, a son born in the house in into a place of power and authority over his business. Amen. So when a son was adopted, he was given legal rights to act in his father's name. Amen. Who he hired was hired. Who he fired was fired. This, and this is the age of adoption where sons of God are to be revealed and step into their rights. And this is what you are seeing in Revelation 10 and 8 after the transfer, come on, from the hand of God to the Lamb who sends it down, the Word down by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he begins to sound his message, finish the mysteries. 
But it's not enough. It's not enough to come down with the mysteries. It's not enough to hand it to a prophet. Amen. For him to sound it, you must also take it. Become one with it. Digest it. Let it come on the inside of you. Again, written on the inside of the nature. Amen. It's the coming of the abstract. Where that all the sins of the ages are wiped out. But in order to do that, there must be a mature elect people to take it. Now, and hear ye him, Brother Branham said this. I want to take these last three words for text. Hear ye him. And he says, if we can have obedience to those three words, you'll see a repeat of Pentecost. Amen. If we can get the bride just not listening and trying to do like Peter, a good man, we'll build a, we'll build a, a, a tabernacle for Moses and we'll build a, 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 a tabernacle for Elijah and we'll build one for you and we'll get our eyes off a of kingdom building for this one and that one and we'll go back to hearing him where the word has preeminence then he said we'll have we'll see another Pentecost now you know why because if we come back to adopted sons and hear ye him it'll be receiving the abstract again in other words the clear deed and, and this is why the same angel of the covenant remembers his promise and says, there will be no more delay. No more holding back of the inheritance. The time has come to deliver all nature. Amen. Give me Revelation 10, 6. Let's just look at this. Let me just bring it. Uh, just go back one verse and we'll come back to 6. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven. Now, this is a sworn oath. This is God declaring with an oath. Now, he did this to Abraham. Said, I give this land to you and your seed. And I swear with an oath. He confirmed it with an oath. Come on. This is what he was doing on the day of Pentecost. He was confirming the resurrection and the power of God with, the, with an oath, the Holy Ghost, coming down into individuals. But I want you to know here in Revelation 10 and 5 that he swears with an oath. Are you with me now? Here again is an oath that God cannot go back on. He cannot lie. He cannot back up on his promise. Somebody help me preach now. Amen. Give me the next verse and let's see what it's about. He swear by him that liveth forever and ever. That's God. Amen. That there should be time no longer. This is what he swore. There will be time no longer. Now, what it had been referring to, there was a time of silence. Because he said, seal up the things that the seven thunders uttered. This is in the verses before. And it told him, there's a time where it's going to be silent. It's going to be sealed. 
you're not going to know it. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, verse 7, when he should be, begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. Amen. As he had declared to his servants the prophets, I want you to get this thought. God has sworn with an oath that time will be no longer. What time? Time to hold the mysteries back. Time to keep the book sealed. There's a time of its sealing and there's a time of its opening. But yet he swears, I will not leave it closed forever. But I'm going to open it. Amen. And I'm going to do it in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. When the last messenger, when there comes another Pentecost. Amen. And it'll be a trumpet angel sounding out a message. Are you with me? It's a ram's horn that is being blowed. And it's a jubilee. And it says we can return every man back to our possession. We can go back to the book of Acts. We can go back to what the church lost. We can go back to total restoration. And I'm giving you in this age a promise that no matter how long it tarries and how long it waits, the delay is over. Hallelujah. I want to get into your heart this morning. The delay is over. The time for holding back is over. The time for you to be out of your possession is over. The time for you to be a slave to some system of man is over. Hallelujah. The delay is over. We've waited for years and years and years and years and seven church ages since the Passover at Calvary. But now the day of Pentecost has fully come. Hallelujah. And the delay is over. You don't have to wait anymore. We're not in a time of waiting. We're in a time of fulfillment. Come on now. Even you in your situation this morning, whatever it is, you need to tell the devil the delay is over. I've heard the trumpet sound. I'm throwing down my hoe. Amen. I'm not going to be. Come on. We just had it the other day. We're not going to be barren no more. The delay is over. We've been waiting for 16 years, but the delay is over for Esther. Amen. I'm telling the barren church and the return of Jesus Christ that the delay is over. Amen. That Jesus Christ has descended from heaven with a shout, with a message in this day to turn our hearts back to the faith again. Amen. And there is a people who are given voice through that resurrection. And they're saying, I was dead in the tombs of denomination, but I'm not there anymore. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I've got the keys to death and of hell. Amen. Hell cannot hold me. Death cannot hold me. The grave cannot hold me. The delay is over. Even if you're waiting on the Holy Ghost this morning, the delay is over. 
You don't have to delay another day. You don't have to work for sin another day. You don't have to hold one more weed for the devil another day. The delay is over. You're sick in your body this morning. Your delay is over. Hallelujah. If you got a need in your life, the delay is over. I'm telling a barren church, the delay is over. We're here in the coming of the Lord. It is transpiring as we speak. Oh, no, we don't see the dead in Christ yet. No, we haven't had a change yet. No, don't, don't go to pretending. We don't have to pretend. Amen. We can talk about what's real. And what is real is there is a message that, it, that this bride is not dead anymore. She's not bound in chains anymore. She's not sealed in a tomb anymore. But the first one up from the dead out of dark denominationalism is here on the earth showing with infallible proof he lives. He lives. He is alive. Hallelujah. Oh, God did this so many times through the prophet's ministry. But I want you just to even look among us. He's showing he lives. Amen. The glory is coming back. Come on. Amen. We got a sign here among us of a little girl who was, who was bald and lost all her hair and her glory was gone. But God has given you a foretaste. Amen. It's a witness. You say, Brother Tim, you're grasping his straws. Well, what are you grasping at? Amen. You think it's just straws? It wasn't just a straw. It was a whole head full of hair. Not straws. And the glory returned. Hallelujah. I believe the glory is returning to the bride of Jesus Christ. I believe there's a Samson on earth who's, who's growing a new crop of hair. Amen. The people who are now about to display the very power of God. Hallelujah. Sometimes, you know, we don't know where our past will take us. But Brother Ron was talking to me about the other day, about the peripheral vision being gone and doctors doing an operation. Maybe losing his sight. Well, he didn't lose his sight. But nevertheless, he was talking to me about it, and I said, hey, okay, if you lose your sight, yeah, that would be awful. But let me just tell you, that doesn't take away from our God, who is the restorer of sight. And there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Amen. You say, well, Brother Tim, you're really trying hard to believe. I, I don't find it hard to believe. Sorry, I don't find it hard to believe that God is God and he's still the healer. And he shows with infallible proofs over and over again that he's alive. Amen. That he is not dead, but he's alive. Are you with me? Amen. So, so again, again, you know, the time has come to deliver all nature. We're right here in the hour for it. And the message, hear ye him. Brother Branham gives example of that. He said his son 
became a certain age, he took the son out and adopted him or positionally placed him. So that word adopt gets you confused. Just think positionally placed. So he had a son born in, the, in, his, in his household. But when he come an age, he's positionally placed. He's of age to handle the father's business and operate in the father's name. And of course, he was there, but he was tutored from through time until he comes of age. And then he refers, he says, this Pentecostal church has had 51 years of growth. And then he says, why aren't we of age? And then I'm going to say, as we're standing here on 54 years since the seventh angel finished sounding his message, why aren't we of age? Because the Holy Spirit is to bring the message that we broke ourselves up in denomination and drawed fences across it. Cutting in with the world and living like the world and prayer meeting is gone and old-fashioned services is gone. That's why we're not where we should be. And that's exactly why the people won't stay placed. And I'm just going to say, this is, this is exactly his message in the greatest battle ever fought. What he built his whole sermon on was the backdrop of the universe. As he looked into the heavens and he says, that stars or those stars have stayed in orbit since God hung them in the sky. And they're God's army. And there, you know, again, the moon moves and the tide comes in and out and the sun comes and gives us energy upon the earth. He said, oh, that the sons of God, that they are represented, will stay steady like the heavens. When we see trouble coming, we see problems upon the earth. We see sickness. We see trials come. Are you with me? It is that time you got to stand steady. Be still and know that I'm God. Amen. Don't, don't go running around, cast about. Don't let, let your faith drop and, and worry and all that. Just stay steady. Now, but without castigating or reprimanding or blaming anyone, I don't believe we have yet realize the full potential of what this message is to bring. The book was open. What was it to bring? It was to open up the full inheritance. I, I've seen, a, you know, some camping down on parts and the neglecting of other parts. We've learned mechanics of theology. And we know it in theory, but we're often lacking the dynamics of the fire of it. We have our churches set in order. We got nice buildings. We have educated people to understand doctrine. We've had great teaching, but we need an igniting of this truth in our lives. Now, that ought to be the cry of every believer this morning. Lord, you packed me full of the word, but I need an igniting of its truth in my life. Amen. Now, of course, when this 
when the, this would be a ceremony that, that they would have in the Roman days, the son, after that ceremony, he would have the same authority to write a check as his dad did. If he fired a man, he was fired. If he hired a man, he was hired. Jesus said, whosoever sins you remit is remitted. And whatever you bind on earth, I bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, I loose in heaven. Remember, in the church is the power of binding and loosing. Is that right? That's the power of God's church. How do we remit sin? It don't come by magic wand of a preacher. It comes by you repenting. And then being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And your sins are remitted so you can receive the Holy Ghost. But he said, we, we say this with shame face. We're short of that because the church has drawn division and lines and so forth and accepted other things instead of staying uh, with God's love and the Holy Spirit and the Bible. He said, look, he has predestinated us unto this inheritance. I want you to know you have been ordained. Just like Mordecai told Esther. He says, she, he said that, you know, you have come into the kingdom for this time. And I want you to know you have been predestinated for this age. God saw you before the world and he chose you for this time. You could have been born in Luther's time. You could have been born in Wesley's time. But God saw to it that you would come in this day and this hour. That this is your time. Are you with me? Because he has predestinated you to inheritance. Others have remained like a child. But you're a people in, in, predestined to an inheritance. Amen. He said, if I'm right, inheritance is something. It's God knocking at my heart saying, William Branham, I called you a long time before the foundational world to preach the gospel. I have an inheritance, an inheritance of eternal life. Now, Jesus, to make that inheritance real to me, because there was nothing I could do to inherit it. It was blank. It was valid. There's nothing I could do. But in the fullness of time, God sent in his own good time, Jesus the Lamb, slain before the foundational world. His blood was shed that I might go to my inheritance. To be what? What inheritance? To sonship. To be a son of God. Now, we're not, we're not ordained to be a prophet or the seventh angel. But we are ordained to an inheritance. And that is inheritance of sonship. And he said, now, this may choke you to death, but do you know that men are sons of God or amateur gods? How many ever knew that? How many of you know Jesus said so? The Bible said, Jesus said, did not your law say itself that you are gods? And if you call them gods, which God said in Genesis 2, that they were gods. And because they had full dominion over the dominion of the world, he gave him dominion over all things. And he lost his godship. He lost his sonship. He lost his domain. Satan took it over. But brother... We are waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God who will come back and take it over again. Waiting for the fullness of time when the pyramid gets up to the top. Where the, when the sons of God will be, will, uh, when the full sons of God will be manifested and the power of God will walk out, hallelujah, and take every power that Satan's got away from him. Hallelujah. 
Now, when we, you, you hear Brother Bradham talk about the pyramid, as, as, as he said, we don't be, believe in some pyramid doctrine, some mystic spiritualism that's associated with the pyramid. He was just illustrating the workings of the gospel from the first age till now, starting at the base, working upward with each age getting narrower. Saying we're in the seventh age and now we're beyond Azusa Street with nothing left but the capstone to come, which is Jesus Christ. Now that capstone can come to you individually as the Holy Ghost. Seal you to the day of redemption. Amen. The capstone revelation comes where the final revelations are added to the church, finishing the mysteries of God, and we have received that. Amen. But we as a body of believers are coming to another headstone. Are you with me? And that headstone is the coming of Jesus Christ himself to unite with his church and take that church in a rapture. Amen. So even so, there has to be a bride or a people on earth to match the coming capstone. A body of believers to take every power that Satan has away from him as Christ did. And he waits, Jesus waits expectantly for every enemy to be made his footstool. Hallelujah. He did that in Christ. But now it must be done in his body. Come on. Amen. Listen, this is what Jesus is expecting. The Bible said he sits in the heavens and he waits for every enemy to be brought under his feet. I wonder what trophy will you bring this morning? Amen. Every one of you ought to be bringing bringing a a trophy. Here's another demon that I'm bringing laying at your feet because you said every enemy would have to be brought under your feet. Come on, here's, a, here's alopecia, we bring that under your feet. Here's cancer, we bring it under your feet. Amen, here's this situation, we bring it under your feet. Here's a lost child of yours, we bring it under your feet. Everything has to be brought under his feet and he is there expecting you to do it. Amen, who is it among the bride of Christ? Amen. Who will come bringing their enemy? Put him there before his feet. Here's another one. Here's another trophy of the blood. Amen. Here's another trophy of the blood. What's now? Romans 8.15. We'll bring it to a close here in a moment. But in Romans 8.15, for you have not received the spirit of adoption again to fear, but you have received the spirit of uh, uh, the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, and that is the spirit of adult sonship. Right. You have received the spirit that is to bring you into a adult sonship, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, which that's a term of endearment, my daddy. Hallelujah, you've received the spirit of adoption, the spirit of adult sonship, whereby we call him father. Amen. Watch verse 16. And the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
Verse 17, watch now. And if we're children, then heirs. And we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Is somebody with me there? So if we're a child, we're an heir. And if we're an heir, we're heir of God. And we are a joint heir with Christ. Amen. This is what he's doing. He's sharing. He is sharing the book. Amen. He has given you the inheritance as a child of God because we have received the spirit of sonship, bringing us into maturity. Now, I want to, I want to look at this verse a little closer because we need to look at this verse a little, little closer. Yeah, we're to suffer too. Oh, yeah. We live in this life, and we know we suffer because of it. And I want you to think, you get blow after blow after blow. But that don't mean that in every blow, he doesn't come back and bring a way of escape. Don't provide healing. Come on. Amen. And we suffer, and in suffering, we know we develop character that we, we need in order to reign, Right? Amen. But I want you to look at this a little closer. Because not only do we suffer in that manner, but we have our suffering vicariously in Christ. So the reason we can reign with him is because he suffered for our sins. The reason we can walk in freedom and, and healing this morning is because he suffered for our healing. So if we acknowledge we suffer with him, Amen. That he paid our price. We can have salvation or we can have healing. Salvation for the body or salvation for the soul. Because if we suffer with him, we reign with him. Hallelujah. How many can look in Christ and say, I was in him. Amen. I was in him. And he suffered for me. And I suffer with him, therefore I reign with him. And because he resurrected, I'm resurrected. Hallelujah. Amen. Because he rose, I raised with him. So I can raise triumphant over sin, over sickness, over any problem. Because if I suffer with him, I reign with him. Now, and since we are his true children, we qualify to share in all his treasures. Amen. We are heirs of God himself. Don't let this go over your head. Because we are his true children. How many is a true child of God? Amen. Amen. Then we are qualified to share in his treasures. And if we're, we are heirs of God himself. And since we're joined to Christ, we are also inherit all that he is and all that he has. And so we experience being co-glorified with him, provided we accept his sufferings as our own. So when you, when you, there again, when you accept his sufferings as your own, and you say he suffered for my sins, then you receive his glory of the Holy Ghost that glorifies your being 
hallelujah, and quickens you to the word of God. And the same thing happens for your healing when you realize I suffered with him. Amen. I don't have to suffer anymore. He paid the price. My suffering is over. I can stand and be healed. Hallelujah. Why? Because I am glorified with him. That is, he raised, I raised. Just as he raised and triumphed over sin, I can triumph over sin. As he triumphed over sickness, I can triumph over sickness. So my soul is saved when I realize and accept that he paid for my sin. That I don't need to suffer for my sin. I accept his death for my own. I accept his suffering for my own. For my sins and for my sickness. Now look at verse 18. For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not compared to be to worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestations of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same as in hope. Because the creature itself shall also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, that is the redemption of our body. So now, let me, just, let me just share this in another translation beginning in verse 19. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe. <laughs> Yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. If you just realize this right here, this, this word, this word here of the unveiling... It is, it is there in that manifestation. It comes from the word apocalypto, which means the unveiling. It is the name of the book of Revelation that describes the end time, where that there will be an unveiling of the sons of God. I'm trying to get something to you. You're living in the dispensation where sons of God are being revealed. Amen. Word that it's the unveiling. You say, Brother Tim, I thought it was the unveiling of a book. It is. But that book is you, the believer. Amen. The unveiling of God is the unveiling of a bride in, in, in bride for God in bride form. Are you with me? This is his plan. This is his scope. This is everything he was going to do. The earnest expectation of the creature waited for the uh, apocalypse too. The unveiling of sons. God's been waiting to put you on display. Can I just say it? You are the quick short work. And if you want it, if you want it, amen, you've been desiring it, you've been looking for it, quit looking for it, you're it. Amen. This is where he displays his power. This is where his glory is shown. I want you to get this. The entire universe, everything is standing on tiptoe. 
And it's yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its its will, the universe itself had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. Can we get it down for a moment? It's a jubilee where the slaves go free, where the earth gets liberated. Come on. Amen. It keeps right on all, all creation. Verse 21. All creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom Coming to God's children. To this day we're aware of the universal agony. And the groaning of creation. As it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. But we have already received the first fruits of the spirit. The down payment. The earnest. Also inwardly grown as we passionately long to experience our full status as sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. For this is the hope of our salvation. Hallelujah. Amen. There's something in us grown. Yes, Lord. We have seen you work. We want to see you work more. We've seen you display. We want to see you display more. Amen. We've seen you manifest yourself. But Lord, I want to be manifested in that word. Amen. Let it be unveiled. The unveiling. Not just take place in a book in heaven, but an unveiling take place in my life that puts on display the words of this book. Hallelujah. Because those that know their God shall do exploits. Hallelujah. That word, the entire universe standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling, the manifestations of the sons of God. It, is, it shows that this is imminent. It's soon to happen. It's destined to take place. That Christ's glory will come to us, enter us, fulfill us, envelop us, and we will be revealed as the partakers of this glory. And although that God will not share his glory with another. We're not another. We are one with him. So the same glory that was manifested in Christ is to be manifested in his bride. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why Brother Branham would say, go back to Genesis, to the original. What is it? Now the world and nature is grown and crying. Everything's a movement. What? For the manifestations of the sons of God. When true sons, born sons, filled sons speak and their word is backed. I believe we're on the border of it right now. Yes, sir. Say to this mountain, let it be so. 
brother, I desire so and so a certain thing to be done. Oh, I'm a believer in Christ. I give it to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a manifestation. Oh, my brother, my crops is burning up out yonder. I haven't had any rain. I send you rain in the name of the Lord God. Amen. Bless your crop. Oh, waiting, groaning, all nature waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. God ordained it at the beginning. He gave man the domain. He gave Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave it to his, in his name with assurance. Ask the Father anything in my name and I'll do it. Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, the position, the church. As I said, the book of Ephesians, the book of Joshua. Joshua placing the people where they belong. Now, they wouldn't stand still, but he put Ephraim here, and he run over to Manasseh's land. This would, would come back and fussing and stewing. How will they ever get along? When one said, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm oneness, I'm twoness, I'm so-and-so. How are you going to do it? Stand still. God's wanting to place his church, his sons and daughters of God. God, let me live to see it as my prayer. So close, I can just feel it with my hand almost. Look like it's right there, what I've longed to see, waiting for the time when we walk down the street. There's a cripple laying from his mother's womb. Silver and gold have I none. Oh, waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. Hallelujah. When God will make himself known, when they'll stop sickness, they'll stop cancer, they'll stop diseases. You think cancer's something? The Bible said there's coming a time when men will rot right in their flesh and buzzards will eat off the carcasses before they even die. Cancer's a toothache to what's coming. But remember, that horrible thing was forbidden in that day to touch those who had the seal of God. That's what we're striving for, to get in and be positionally placed in the kingdom of God before those horrible plagues strike. Oh, how good the dispensation of the fullness of time we've obtained of inheritance being predestinated. Now listen, here we are. We're living in a day we're seeing already pre-tribulation plagues. I believe the bride goes home before the tribulation. Come on. Amen. But let me tell you, we're seeing pre-tribulation plagues already striking the earth. Look what is happening. Look at the scare that's in our nation. You say, well, it's real. It's not real. It's fake news. It's real news. We don't know. To be quite honest, we don't have, we, we don't have a good handle on our news. Stock market's going crazy, losing thousands of dollars, crashing, you know, almost uh, twenty, thirty thousand dollars on a couple hundred thousand uh, dollar portfolio, just crashing down, losing money. Here again, uh, losing value at least. Here again, fears, all kinds of things that are coming here upon the earth. We're in the end time. Is that right? Amen. But let me tell you something. There is a seal of God that God promised to put upon his people. And also a power that is within them to cast Satan out. That when he attacks, and it must be a people in this last day that know their God who does exploits. Are you with me? Here, listen, Brother Branham, in accepting God's plan provided way at the end time. 
And he said, some of them said, well, now if the plague falls, we'll just go in the hospital. If the plague happens to fall, you know what we'll do? We'll go get Dr. Jones. He'll know how to take care of it. It didn't work. They were smart. Well, if the plague falls, we'll just go down beneath the ground in a cave, shut the door. That won't do one bit of good. We'll stay at home, put a mask over our face, and put some disinfect on it. Didn't do a bit of good. God made a provided way, yes. And it was what? The blood. God provided it as simple as it seemed to take the blood of the lamb and sprinkle the door. Yet God said, his way That was his way, and he honored it. And all that was out from under the blood died, the firstborn. Are you with me now, church? It is time now that we realize we've got to be under the blood. And that's the Holy Ghost. And the blood there cancels all of sin debt and gives you an abstract that your debt is paid and that you've got a free pass. And that you can take your token and display it and wave it in the face of the devil. And say, you can't cross over this token. You can't cross over this blood. Because he said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. It's time like never before we put stress on the dynamics and not just the mechanics. Because mechanics is not going to work. It's going to take the dynamic power of the Holy Ghost working in the church. A people who is a mature church who knows how to take that word and use that sword and bring it against the enemy. That's what Brother Branham said. We put too much stress on mechanics. We hadn't put enough stress on the dynamics. People are worried. They get to saying, Brother Tim, aren't you putting too much stress on on the dynamics? I'm going to tell you, friends, it's time to put stress on it. We need the life of the resurrection, not just the talk of the resurrection. Car can be full of the best gasoline in the world. And without a spark, it'll never leave the drive. We can be chock full of all the word, know the Bible inside and out, and be a walking quote book. But without the dynamics to make it work, it might as well be water. We can have all the professions of faith, might even be in a gasoline can. Might be in a collection of tapes or books. It might all be right on the label. But unless there's some dynamics to make it work in your life, it might as well be water. We have an abstract of title that's been given us. It's an open book. What was closed, what was hidden, what was veiled in other ages is now open to you. The land is yours. The covenant is the deed to the land. But the enemy that possesses it and claims it must be struck off. Today you're getting, you're getting a reminder. We're in a jubilee. You're getting a reminder this is a day of freedom. You're getting a reminder you don't have to be a slave any longer. You got a reminder 
This is a day that we can receive the Holy Ghost just like they did 2,000 years ago. Not a portion, not a part, not just a justification or a sanctification or a tongue of it, but the person himself to come and feel your life and write his nature in your life. Let's bow our heads. The musicians come. I want you to think on this. It's more than a deed. It's more than just having a promise. It's knowing that everything against you has been struck off. I believe that God sent a prophet in this day and hour with a message to turn our hearts back to the faith of the fathers. Strikes and cancels the debts of the past ages. There's no claim on us. It's rapture hour. It's rapture time. He's just hey, waiting for each one of you to personally receive that abstract in your life. Not just a promise, I got the message, but an abstract. That every sin has been struck off. That unbelief is gone. I want you to just look at your life this morning. We've got an abstract of title. Where the deed has been searched. Claims against it is settled. What about your personal property? What about your personal inheritance? What about revealing your name in the book? Is every claim against you been wiped off? Has every sin been put in the blood? Are you standing before him justified that when he sees your name there's not even a smudge against it? Why don't you just ask the Lord today, say, Lord, come search my record. I don't want to stand up there, come down to the end time, and there's a claim on my life. And I got to go through the tribulation for more purging. But I won't ever claim that the devil has on my life taken off. I want a full surrender. I want to be able to reach and take every promise. I don't want to be disqualified by being an immature brat. I want to be a full-fledged, born-again child of God who I can walk up and say, it's my book. I can walk up and take the book from the hand of the angel. And then that word will become spoken out of my life. Once you ask God, there's got to be a clearing of the deed. We're going to take communion here in a little bit. You can't take it with sin in your life and unbelief. If you would just for a moment 
consider your own self. If you would just for a moment stand in his presence. Say, Lord, wipe every sin out of my life. Every bit of unbelief. Everything that disqualifies me. You know, the Bible said if our hearts condemn us not, we can receive what we ask of him. That's not a condition that you want to be just on the occasion. That's the condition you want to walk in. No condemnation. You can say there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I'm free from my past. Free from my sin. And I've got proof of who I am as a child of God. We took and we labored this, put it out, an abstract. God's clear in deeds. He wipes out the false doctrines of the past ages to give you a message that is pure so there can be a rapture. There wouldn't be a claim against this bride. He wants to take your life and he wants to purge you. Take every sin and darkness, every shadow of it. He wants to take his word and just write it in your heart, in your nature, where that you and the word is the same. The same pictures in Revelation 10. Take the word, take it in, prophesy, let it be a life lived out. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit coming down, writing into the very nature of man changing him in his presence would you just say Lord at this moment at this moment I look at your sufferings and I realize if I suffer with you if I count your suffering as my own I'll be glorified with you resurrected out of death into life. Once you look back and you look at him and see, was his blood sufficient? Did he pay your price? Can you say that you're identified in his suffering? Then be identified in his resurrection. Where you cease from dead works to serve the living God. Amen, where the Holy Spirit does its manifestation in your life. What about you? What about you this morning? Would you just say, Lord, I just need to grow up a little bit more. I want to be able to take what's in the inheritance. I need some maturity in my life, Lord. I can know what you want done with your word. I can act in your name, operate in your name. You're going to have a people in this day you're going to display yourself through. Purge my life. Cleanse me. Wash me in the blood, Lord. Today, in your presence. So I can come in some real fellowship with you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So long. I'd search for life's meaning 
enslaved by the world and my greed.